In this episode, Ken Schumann and a group of faith walkers reflect on the topic of justice and righteousness. This conversation was originally recorded in April of 2022. We want to remind you, Faith Walking's mission is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. Visit us at www.faithwalking.us. Join this conversation. It is good to see all of you. Thank you for being here. Um, we sent out a, uh, a handout. I really uh, didn't intend for the handout to go out early, and I just I goofed up and didn't uh, give good instructions. And so you might have gotten that if you haven't. It so, was built into the reminder. There was a link in the reminder. Ah, it was built into the reminder. So you probably didn't even look at it yet. So uh, anyway, don't look at it until we get done. But today, uh, what I wanted to talk about is a, is a fascinating piece. So, so I'm still on this concept of, of what is missional. And, and I, I would say this, I, I think there are three really big questions that we ought to be asking and answering. And uh, the big questions for me are, what is a disciple and how do you make one? And faith walking is attempting to answer that. The other two questions are, well, let me phrase it this way. Uh, does God have a mission? And if so, what is that mission? I, I think we need to be asking and answering that question because it's a really important question. But the third one is the one that gets most people. I think we need to be asking the qu this question. I think we need to be asking the question, what is the gospel? And are we preaching and practicing the same gospel that Jesus preached and practiced? Believe it or not, you could ask 10 Christians that question, as long as you weren't in the same local congregation, and you might get five different answers for, for that. And this conversation today kind of fits into that. I've, I've heard uh, I've read, I've seen on social media, some people say, well, uh, social justice is not part of the gospel or social justice is not part of the mission of God. And I want to advocate that it is, that it is both a key piece of the gospel and a key piece of the mission of God. And uh, you'll know I'm a word geek. And so this we're, we're going to do a little word study today. And in the New Testament, and particularly within the Gospel of Matthew, we, we find this word in Greek uh, that I think is pr pronounced dikaiosane. And dikaiosane, like many words, is, is, a, is a Greek word that has three different English meanings. And I've listed them out. Uh, mainly, I would say, dikaiosane could mean justification, dikaiosane could mean righteousness, or dikaiosane could mean justice. Overwhelmingly, in our English translation of the Greek New Testament, it gets translated as righteousness, and Matthew uses it often. So, in Matthew 5, verse 6, 
uh, in the Beatitudes of Jesus, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after dikaiosane, for they will be filled. Okay, so think about that for a moment. It gets, per, it gets translated, and you read it in your Bible, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for, for they will be filled. But I, here's what I want you to imagine. What if the translators translated it improperly? And what if one of the other trans, uh, meanings of that word are true? So let me give you the example. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after justice, for they will be filled. Now, that's really different as I hear it, me from blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. So we're, we're not, we're not going to get into uh, deciding an either or. So here's what I want to invite you to do and what David Bosch in his book, Transforming Mission talks about and, and where some of this study that I have in front of you comes from is what if rather than using an either or righteousness or justice what if we just said both and what if what if every place that the kaiosane is used rather than just translating it righteousness we translate it justice and righteousness okay so let me give you some examples blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and justice for they will be filled matthew 5 6 and then just a few verses later in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted. And in all of our English translations, it says for righteousness sake. What if it read, blessed are those who are persecuted for standing up for justice and righteousness, for they will be comforted. Just imagine uh, the difference. So I'm going to take you to another place. Uh, my father-in-law's favorite verse of scripture, Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his dikaiosane. Always translated righteousness. Seek God, seek God's righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Well, what if the original author intended it to say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these other things will be added unto you. You see what a powerful difference that is? So we're not going to lop off righteousness, but, but what I want to encourage you, but add justice. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and justice. And when you do, all these other things will be added unto you. Making sense? Anybody got a question about any of that? So Bosch encourages us that to find the correct translation is therefore crucial. And, uh, and he, <laughs> he quotes an Italian proverb or an Italian saying that says, the translator is the traitor. And, and what I want to present to you folks is this. Well, we, we say, oh, well, the Bible's the inspired word of God, whatever you believe about that. And therefore the Bible is to be trusted. Well, yeah, but here's what I want to, here's what I want to offer to you. Every time the scripture is translated from one language to another language, interpretation is involved. 
like this word. You come to this word in the Greek and you say, okay, which of the three options of translation do I use? Well, I think uh, this is best for the context. Well, I mean, that's typically the way translation is done. I want to suggest to you that also most of our English translations started with a bias. They started with a with an agenda. So when they came to translate, they were trying to prove something, say something, defend something. And often the translation reflects that. OK, so I, I don't mean to encourage anybody to doubt scripture or to doubt the word. What I simply want you to do is come to scripture with an understanding that the translators in, uh, they engaged in some interpretation. They did the best they could with the best they had, uh, but they also had their own biases that came into play. I don't know what you believe about that, but I, but I just want to talk about that a little today. So let's, uh, so then that took me down another rabbit hole. You know, I like to go down rabbit holes and I went down another rabbit hole and I went down the rabbit hole of, okay, I, I, I started studying uh, the history of English translations. I, I, because we have a true historian in our midst, I, I want to make certain that all of you know I'm not a historian. Uh, my history is Google searches. And so I Google searched this. And what I found out was the first English translation was the Wycliffe Bible, which was translated in the 1400s uh, or uh, late 1300s, 1300s banned in 1409, and the Wycliffe Bible was the first English plant translation, but it was pre-printing press. So every time it got distributed, uh, there were handwritten copies that went out. And then in 1409, it was banned because, oh no, we can't have an English translation, and it, and it was completely banned. I want to put all of our English translations also within the context of the Protestant Reformation. So typically we say the Protestant Reformation started uh, approximately 1517 when Luther tacked his thesis on the door of the church. Uh, that was the date of that. And so everything that occurred after 1517 is within the context of the first hundred years of the Protestant Reformation. And everything that occurred was either part of the Protestant Reformation or an attack against the Protestant Reformation and a defense for, uh, for what, what, what had occurred before. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at it. So then Tyndale and the Tyndale Bible, I have some dates in the handout, 1522 to 1536, started to translate the Bible into English, and it wasn't authorized. And by authorized, I mean authorized by the king or queen. And so it was rejected because of that. Tyndale was an English contemporary of Martin Luther, but he did print portions of the Bible, and it became the first printed Bible in English, even though it was uh, not fully complete. Well, then, as a result of the Protestant Re Reformation, which was huge, 
by the way. You realize that. We've talked about the every 500-year shifts in, in the big thing. Well, the Protestant Reformation was 500 years ago. It was the last shift. It's why I believe we're in the midst of the beginnings of the next shift. Uh, so in somewhere between 1557 and 1560, a Bible called the Geneva Bible was written. And here's what you need to know about the Geneva Bible. It was, it was written, they called it the Geneva Bible because it was in Geneva, Switzerland. And there is a great reformer from Geneva, Switzerland, whose name is John Calvin. Calvinism. Okay. So the Geneva Bible was written by the early Calvinist. So tell me this. Do you think that the Geneva Bible was accepted by the church in England in England? No, it was not. 1538 to 1539, King Henry VIII authorized what's called the Great Bible, and he authorized a version of, of uh, the, the scripture to be read out loud in the, in the Church of England. And what's fascinating is, is that even though the Tyndale Bible was rejected, the Great Bible interpreters used the Tyndale Bible, the first English translation, to help interpret uh, for the Great Bible. Unfortunately, though, the Geneva Bible, which was written a, a few years later, influenced by Calvinists, popular among the Puritans and other English Protestants in exile, was the Geneva Bible was the first translation of the Reformation. And the Geneva Bible, listen to this and see if it sounds familiar. The Geneva Bible was not popular among conservative clergymen. They didn't like the Geneva Bible. Why? Because it wasn't what they're used to. Because it was, it, uh, the footnotes advocated Calvinism, and they were against it. Just a piece of history for you that's interesting. Queen Mary, in somewhere between 15, well, her reign was between 1553 and 1558. When Queen Mary was on the throne, she attempted to restore the Roman Catholic Church as the official church of England. Okay? So all of this is happening while Bible translations are occurring, okay? So do you see, what, what I want you to see is the great, uh, well, let me get to the next one, and I'll say it. The Bishop's Bible then was written in 1568. It, it's an authorized version, authorized by Queen Elizabeth. And here's the deal. The Bishop's Bible was written to counter the Geneva Bible. Okay, we don't want people write, reading the Geneva Bible because it's too Calvinist, and we we and we're not for Calvinism, and so we're gonna we're gonna authorize a translation of the Bible that's more in line with what we think and what we believe, and so the Bishop's Bible was written in 1568. You with me? So then, uh, in 1604, King James authorized a new edition of scripture that was completed in 1611 and uh and and it's called it's the king james version of the bible which is still present today which many people still read and here's what i want you to know it's the third authorized version and what's fascinating to me is that the geneva bible was used as one of the sources for the King James Version. 
So the, so the Calvinist Bible, which was rejected and rewritten with the Bishop's Bible, then when they wrote the King James Version, they went back and referenced uh, work that had been done on the Geneva Bible. So all of that is a little history of scripture interpretation. So why am I giving you all that? Why did I run down that little rabbit trail? Well, I ran down the rabbit trail because I want to come back to the word dikaiosane. So every one of these translations, when the translators go back to the Greek, they look at that word and they say, okay, which of these three English definitions or, or translations is most appropriate for this moment? And I want you to see that all of them were influenced by what was going on in the greater culture, just like we are today. See, for, for people to believe we're not influenced by the, by, the, by the era that we live in, by the period that we live in, by, by the politics and, and the religious theological conversations of our day, I think we're in error if we don't understand that, yeah, God inspired, but, but it was human beings, and, and we just talked about human beings earlier, who, who are frail who mess up, who have opinions, who have preconceived notions. And so is it possible, could, could we embrace the idea that the saying also means justice? And I believe it does for this reason, because all over the Old Testament, God is a God of justice. We actually started this rabbit trail for the last four or five weeks with Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 is about uh, freedom for the oppressed. It's, a, it's about justice. And so it sounds really logical for me that when Jesus is talking in the Beatitudes, he's talking also not just about righteousness, not just about morality. He's also talking about justice. So what would it sound like? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's justice, and all these things will be added unto you. So my close is this. Often people say, well, so, so all of the answer to the three questions that I started with, what's a disciple? How do you make one? Uh, what's the mission of God? And are, are we, uh, does God have a mission? And, and what is that mission? What's the gospel? And is the gospel we preach and practice the same gospel Jesus preached and practiced? All of those questions come into play because tied to mission, tied, Jesus very clearly says, my mission is the announcement and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is tied to this idea of justice. Jesus uses parables to define the kingdom. And so we're left confused and wondering uh, what's the kingdom about. And our good buddy, Paul, in Romans 14, 17, has a succinct, clear verse of scripture about the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is not what you eat or drink, but the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, okay? If you've been paying attention to me at all, you just heard a buzzword for today, and that's the word righteousness. Well, guess what Greek word that word's translated from? Dikaiosane, 
Well, guess what that means? That means it could mean righteousness, justification, or justice. Or maybe we could translate it this way. The kingdom of heaven is justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, peace is one of my favorite words. In Greek, it's different. But but the, the people that were writing the Greek, that were telling the stories, were thinking in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. And the word shalom is the word that means much more than peace. It's much broader than peace. It also means wholeness. And when faith walking talks about we're in the business of making wholeness possible, what we're saying is we want the kingdom to come. We want wholeness and peace and shalom to come. That's what we're saying. So here's what I want you to do with a little bit of new wording. Let's rephrase what Paul wrote. And I think we are translating it accurately when we say it. The kingdom of heaven is not what you eat or drink, but the kingdom of heaven is justice wholeness and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we could say the kingdom of heaven is not what you eat or drink. The kingdom of heaven is justice, wholeness, and celebration. And when you're in the kingdom, you are, you are treating people right and fair. You're experiencing well-being and you're experiencing celebration in your life. Because when the kingdom comes, which is what Jesus came to demonstrate and preach, there is wholeness, there is justice, and there is joy. What, what questions does that raise for you? What do you want to talk about related to it? And the word justice is so culturally magnetic these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, I, 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 I fully am tracking with you on um, translation having a lot to do with intent. Mm -hmm. I am wondering what justice, what were the cultural buzz connected with that word um, then? Do you, uh, that would be, I have not done a word study, cultural or otherwise. Yeah, and I, I don't know, but that's a great question. So, so it comes back, if you, if, if you think about some of the last few study here, so here's where my thinking takes me, Tammy. Um, when John the Baptist was on the banks of the river baptizing people and some of the Pharisees and some soldiers and some religious leaders and some common people, they, they, uh, John the Baptist said, be baptized uh, as a result of repentance and then do deeds appropriate with repentance. And all of them asked the question, okay, what's repentance look like for me? And he went through this script of, well, it means quit, quit stealing for you who are tax collectors quit stealing from people for you that are soldiers quit abusing people for you know and and he went through these things all of which that describe justice kinds of issues justice for me is about don't oppress people don't hold people back and hold people down which which is why I, I'm convinced God instituted the every seven years, there was a Jubilee year. And in the Jubilee year, guess what happened? Debts were, were, were uh, forgiven. Everybody came back to equal and we started over. Well, why? Because God wants well-being for everybody, not just for the affluent. Yeah. So that's what emerges for me. I probably should stop there or else I'll preach sermon number two. What, what else you want to say about that? 
Um, uh, what, what came to me, Ken, um, was there's, there's, there's several, I think there's several, <coughs> several principles <coughs> that comes here. Um, first of all, uh, there's that scripture um, that talks about the poor are sold for a pair of shoes. And it mm -hmm. talks about the poor being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's uh, people think, well, as long as I am paying my tithe, as long as I am going to the temple, as long as the sheep that I'm offering is clean and all that sort of thing, yep. everything's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm doing my uh, religious bit. Um, and I think uh, it, there's also that um, the other thing that came to me was that Solomon spent um, correct me if I'm wrong, 14 years building his palace, mm -hmm. and seven years building the temple. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was actually forced labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, it's like uh, when we see um, poverty, when we, seeing it, when we see that uh, something needs to be done, mm -hmm. even though we can do we as individual people might think, well, I can't really do much at all. Right. But our little, the little that we do, when that's added with somebody else and somebody else and somebody right. else, right. a lot have done. So sometimes. Could, could, could I interrupt you just for a second, John? Sure. Uh, everything you're saying is great. I, I, I just want to say something before I forget it. Okay. I'm old these days and I forget. Uh, what I want to say, you, you, you started with an idea that, okay, as long as I go to church and pay my tithe and do kind of my religious activity, well, all of that for me gets lumped under the, under the heading of righteousness. Yep. So seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Okay, well, I go to church, I pay my tithe, I do, so, so I can do just those things and satisfy what I believe God's calling me to. But when I add justice to that, suddenly now all the things that you're talking about get added to it. And I can't do that by going to church. I can't exactly. do that by giving my tithe. Now I've got to get engaged in, in people's lives. And oh my gosh, that's a completely different calling, which is why I think mm. it's important that we hold up the idea that what, what if seeking first God's kingdom is about also seeking God's justice? Exactly. Now, now, finish what you, I, I said what I needed to say. You go for it, bro. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. And, and there are opportunities, um, to, you know, to, to, be, to be doing that. I mean, yeah. it's like oh, often, uh, often um, we say, um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this with, uh, with some, um, I'm involved with uh, some Muslim people here. And uh, uh, I remember speaking to one man, says, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know anybody. I don't know any Muslims at all. Mm. Uh, and I'm thinking, and what I said to this guy says, okay, well, pray and ask God to bring some across mm -hmm. your path. Mm -hmm. And if we're not involved in certain things and we've got a heart for it, we can cry, we can ask God, Lord, I, I'm concerned about injustice. Um, give me something that's, um, that I need, that I can do to change injustice. Give me a situation. Give me a person. Give me a scenario. Um, you know, you know, any anything at all. Like you know, if we feel that we're in a, perhaps a, an affluent area, um, mm -hmm. and uh, there's not sure. there's no real poverty in our area, we might come from an affluent city. 
well, Lord, I'm concerned about justice um, in this context. Bring somebody to bring somebody to me. Bring some bring somebody to mind. Bring somebody to mm-hmm. my home uh, mm-hmm. when I'm in this. When I'm doing the when mm-hmm. I'm on the, the down at the mall. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, and like we John, say, it, it's better to do something rather than nothing. Exactly. What and what module what module are you about to start? Uh, number four. Yeah. Well, wait till numbers five and six, buddy. You are going to be, it's going to be so, I mean, it's, it's what you're preaching right now. We talk mm. about in modules five and mm. six. So good mm. stuff, bro. Yeah. I better stop because I'll start preaching. <laughs> start? What do you mean start? You started about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That's good preaching though. I think one of the things group that, so that that's important for me is I, I I am serious about scripture and I'm serious about interpretation of scripture, which is why it, it's okay to come to this word, the saying and say, well, I don't know what the, the, you know, what the interpreters, translators were thinking, but they picked righteousness. So I'm going to stick with righteousness. Okay, that's fine. But at least be open to the idea that it could mean something different. That's the point I want to make. And for those that like myself, who say, I believe it does mean something different. I believe they were a little biased toward righteousness. And I think therefore they left off justice. And therefore I am convinced Jesus himself said, that's why I came. Dawn, did you, are you wanting to say something? Dive in. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, this is super interesting. I'm thinking about righteousness. And as John is mentioning too, um, I think I think of it differently. So this explanation of righteousness is sort of like the rules of the road that were given, um, the minimum requirement in order to consider yourself um, in line with God at that time or now, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Um, I've always thought of righteousness more being right with God. So whatever that required. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my question about justice is just that it seems um, even more open for interpretation and maybe that's the way it should be um but Mm -hmm. if you think i'm seeking justice then if there's injustice are there repercussions when there's not justice and so then i go in that as you say rabbit hole of (laughs) then i'm the judge and i'm deciding which what's righteous and what's not and what um consequences there should be for Mm -hmm. injustice and so that puts me in a place of just being unsure because I, you know, yeah. hesitant to go in that direction. I hear you. I hear you, Dawn. As you were talking, it's, 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 it's why for me, I emphasize the word wholeness. So I believe God's mission is to restore wholeness to everything that is broken. So it starts in me. And God is wanting to, to restore all the brokenness in me to wholeness. And God wants there to be wholeness in the world around me. And God invites me to partner with God in, the pla- in certain places of brokenness and say, okay, come join with me and let's restore this particular place of brokenness to wholeness. And so for me, it, it becomes, that, that gets a little simpler for me to identify, okay, where's the brokenness? Well, racism for me is brokenness. Okay, well, then I can, I can join with God when God invites me to address racism. Or 
um, you know, oppression is brokenness. So therefore I can join with God when God invites me. And I, I want to remind everybody also, uh, because we always get overwhelmed because we think about all the brokenness in the world. And I want to invite you to, to remember, this is what I believe. You are only responsible for what God invites you to join with God in participating in. We're not responsible for all the problems of the world, but we're rep responsible for those ones where in our times of reflection and discernment, God says, come here. I want you to join me with this person or with this group of people or with this location or this place. Uh, I'm convinced that that's the way God's work, God works, and I'm convinced that's what missional is. I hope that didn't just confuse things worse, Don. No, thank you. Sean? I, uh, yeah, I kind of have a thought on that. Um, I, for me, like I come at, I was like lightly churched as a young person and then quickly kind of came into ministry things and like skipped the whole uh, parts of formation that normally people go through. So yeah. I actually, I sometimes read scripture a little more from a secular position. Okay. Um, yeah. And not necessarily, and I don't believe it's inspired. I, I do, I do believe it is God's thing. Yeah. But for me, the righteousness word um, to, to say like, oh, justice would be better there. To me, it's like, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. and, and the difference is, is if you read righteousness as a theologically loaded Calvinist, I've been justified before God. I've said the prayer, that's righteousness. Then yeah, this is a big thing. But if I see righteousness as, I'm walking down the road and I see a man who's just been beaten by mm -hmm. thieves and mm -hmm. I go to the other side. Mm -hmm. That's unrighteous. Right. right. If Got I, it. um, you know, you know, all of Jesus teachings pretty much <laughs> have, mm -hmm. have more to do mm -hmm. with how I respond and less to do with, um, you know, Paul's theology of justification and, and, and that, and so for me, I just kind of go like, righteousness seems great, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. And, mm -hmm. and um, and so, but it is kind of debugging maybe some of those, you know, our theological bulwarks and walls that we set up to kind of protect. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of where you're going. So to me, I'm like, justice, sure, like throw it in. Yeah. There. Like that, yeah. You know. Um. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. I would actually like kind of more go like that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who are, you know, escaping bombs right now in ukraine or or, yeah. or going across yeah. seas in the middle east fleeing terrorist terrorism they hunger and thirst for it in a yeah. way that i would never know yeah um they yeah. need it in a way for me it's like a fun short-term missions trip and i get to pat myself on the back or i help <laughs> someone buy a burger for for them like they hunger and thirst for it yeah in a way and, and we could say to them even the kingdom is accessible for you in, in this moment and and uh, and so so yeah I mean I, I just I just wonder if this is more of a conversation of right theology applied poorly um, yeah has has kind of gotten us in a weird spot as a yeah collective people and and I, I love what you've said Sean and you're exactly right and I love your take and your perspective of uh, okay yeah I come at this from kind of a different perspective. I think the thing I want to say is that even when we read scripture, we all read it through the lens of a mental model of our history, of our story, of our past. And in faith walking language, I would say we all read scripture 
through the lens of our first formation. And your first formation was really different than mine. Uh, and so, and so for me, uh, the distinguishing between between those words because I'm reading it through the lens of my mental model. So I love what you said, and I and I totally agree. And uh, and I do agree that for a person like myself who grew up going to church and grew up hearing what righteousness was all the time and never hearing a word about justice, then uh, for me. Okay, man, we're gonna we're gonna do a word study here, and we're gonna figure out that you know we've been interpreting this word a little incorrectly. But I love your perspective. No, when I read righteousness, that's what I read in it, and so that's what it means. Good, good. That's all I all I can say is good. Tammy. <clears throat> oh, I forgot I have it. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. So I was thinking your 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 wider point here can that i think you've summarized once is is hold is to hold our translations somewhat loosely and nuanced mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. that there are 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 cultural issues at play that there are translation issues at play and i um just to very quickly take us down another bunny trail i am um i've been following wycliffe and their bible translations for mm -hmm. decades mm -hmm. um, and that's an ongoing issue for even contemporary bible translators as they go into um you know other cultures and not too familiar language situations and uh, mm -hmm. if i can really fast tell a personal story i don't think i've shared here uh, my roommate in seminary had been with mission aviation fellowship for many many years as a as an educator to the children of missionaries. And um, in Papua New Guinea, math was trying to figure out how to um, translate a New Testament into the language used by some of some of the, the cannibalistic tribes way off in the jungle, right? Mm -hmm. And for they, for us, the center of our being are is our heart we refer when we say you know the, the word heart is used all the time in scripture and as westerners we know that that means um the source of who you are your being your your emotions um your your the, your personhood i know your heart right and we know what that means but in a literal and in a cannibalistic society that she was rubbing shoulders with the center of a human being was where all the processing of our nutrients and our bodily waste and everything is, is the liver. And the translators were, were, were struggling with, do you transliterate or translate mm -hmm. in a way that will be meaningful sure. for the recipients, mm -hmm. right? So I'm always fascinated with, with yes, we're, we're, our English version is coming off of centuries and and languages that are no Koine Greek isn't used anymore. Right. We're putting it into our, our modern context. So holding holding all of it loosely and what is the spirit saying, not tossing it to the wind, but what is the spirit specifically saying to a culture at a specific time is um, great justification for what you're trying to say here. Correct. And I really love it. And that's, Good. that's, that's hard. There's no right or wrong. 
right. transliteration, translation. There's even transcription, and there's other issues that, right. that we have to wrestle with. Yes. I'm done. Really good. Thank you, Tammy. Group, I'm going to ask for a point of personal privilege. I would like to draw a line in the sand right there. I mean, this would generate some really good conversation. We can continue it. Uh, if, if you if you have things to say, would you write them down and bring them next week or uh, or, or or thoughts? Uh, yeah, if it's okay, I'm gonna go. Is that all right? Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day, and I will see you next week. For more information about Faith Walking, visit www.faithwalking.us. We want to remind you that Faith Walking exists because of your financial support. Please consider giving at faithwalking.us backslash donate. Thank you for listening.